And here we go. There we are. You don't say. Yeah. Ah, oh, nice. Yours was louder than mine. Mm. Uh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to say it. Anyway. So that that could that could that sound could only mean <laughs> we are recording and, and we night. wouldn't crack one to record a classic. No, we would not. No. Well, no. That's maybe. We would, but we wouldn't make a big deal out of it. True. Cuz then we'd have to do it again for each classic and those take approximately 4 minutes. Right. So that would be a lot of cracking them. Oof, yeah. yeah. Not not ugh. too much. Yeah. Too much. Yeah. So I I have to bring up before we begin although we've already begun, have to bring up, uh, did you see who passed away today? Yes. Shocked. Saddened. Yeah, uh-huh. Yes. For all of you children out there who aren't familiar with who Raquel Welch is. <laughs> oh. Oh. R.I.P. Yeah. 1 million B.C. Mm-hmm. Hey, you want to see a statuesque woman strutting around in a bearskin bikini? Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. And right at the right time for you and I as youth. Oh, oh yeah, you Just... bet. <sighs> Yowza. Stunning. Stunning. They don't make them like that anymore. No, they don't. Well, they do. I think they roll off assembly lines, but I think those were all natural. Yes, yes. Oh, I, I have no doubt she was completely natural mm-hmm. and, and spectacular. Yes, very much so. R.I.P. So, yes, to Raquel. Okay, moving on from that, we, we, okay. we, we took a moment. <laughs> yes, yes, had, had to had to take a moment. Mm-hmm. Well, look, we didn't bring up the weather at all. No, so of that's not. pretty impressive. Well, there were boobs to talk about, so it's, that <laughs> yes, trumps the weather. It certainly does. It certainly and does. There so, goes our last female listener. Uh, nah, nah, I don't think so. I think women are more enlightened these days. They can they can accept that. Really, I wouldn't. Uh, that's my story, and I'm okay, sticking with all right. it. You, Tell, say what you got to do to make yourself feel better. Oh, you're not helping. I know. Not, not helping. Again, it could also be my middle name, not helping always. So anyway, I got a new issue of the new brewer in the mail. So that must mean... We read it so you don't have to. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. This was a, and, and you recall, I think I might have sent you like the table of contents in a picture. Yep. And you said, holy crap. Yeah, it's like <laughs> at least two episodes in this single issue. Yeah. There, there's a ton of stuff to talk about here. The, co- the cover stories on non-alcoholic beer, we, we have gotten into that a lot recently. So we're going to save that for a little bit. Yeah. For, for fear of, of boring all of you and, uh, and giving you the wrong impression as I drink my 8.2% Baltic Porter. Exactly. Beer. Mm-hmm. Called Mellow Submarine. Ah, <laughs> I was leaving the brewery tonight, and I I looked at the brewer and said, "It's the best thing you've ever done." Because mm. I I firmly believe it is. Nice, quite tasty. Uh, so yes, we will the whole bunch of stuff on the NA market, on NA brewing, um, a whole article just on NA yeast. So they really got into it. But we we again we're gonna save that for another one yep. because we've been all over that lately but there's so many other things that were going on in here so many things including some things that weren't in the table of contents that i i am looking forward to bringing up with you Ooh, secret secret, secret stuff nice 
just extra, extra little bonus items. Mm. So whenever my son and I go out in, you know, somewhere on the weekends, we stop for a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich at the deli. Of course you do. And of course we do. And when you eat your sandwich and underneath it in the tinfoil, there's like leftover bacon. That's bo- <laughs> that's bonus bacon. Bonus bacon. Bonus, bonus bacon's the best. Nice. So always good to get a little bonus bacon in your issue. Mm-hmm. Of your well, what are we going to entertain our fans with for now? <laughs> not just, not the bacon isn't enough? Bacon's not enough? <laughs> what else do you want? All right. So, a uh, whole bunch of things in here that were really interesting. Uh, one of the articles was called Beyond Beer. And it was about breweries going outside of beer. And we've talked about your favorite thing, which are hard seltzers. Mm, yummy. <laughs> Grown. Yeah. But what, what I found interesting about the article in particular, and, and this is the really the, the chemistry and the formulation behind them, was the concept that mocktails and cocktails and, and kombucha and all this stuff, at least the way they're describing it, and you can poke some holes in this, um, is that a lot of these breweries are using the same approach they've been using to hard seltzers, which is that it's, it's a neutral fermented sugar base and they just mess with the ABV and they mess with the flavor profile to turn it into a cocktail, you know. Yes. Par- parody, basically. Absolutely. Um, but it's it's not requiring. I mean, no one needs to get a distilling license. Um, nope. You're just using hot, you know, high alcohol fermented sugar. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, yeah. You're, there's no distillation. You're using, you're you know, distillation is the process of removing water from from alcohol or alcohol from water. That's not what we're doing here. We're actually brewing. You're leaving all that stuff intact. So you're feeding yeast with sugar to produce ethanol. Where that sugar comes from doesn't matter. So let's get it from the most cost-effective place, which is usually not malt. (laughs) It's usually corn sugar, Mm -hmm. um, dextrose or something like that. So you, you take a yeast that's very, very high attenuating, and you dump in a bunch of sugar, you put in some nutrients and you turn on the heat and the yeast does the rest. I mean, I'm, I'm reading this and all I can think is, you know, you're picking up a, you know, a, a, a can with, I don't know, a gin and a, a quote unquote, you know, gin and tonic seltzer or whatever it is in there. And it's really just, you know, a bunch of Smarties dissolved in seltzer. <laughs> well, maybe I'm not sure. You know, I, I know that some of those, I think Seagram's is one of the larger ones that does the cocktail and can thing. And those are made with liquor, hard, you know, hard alcohol. So, but they're not, you know, it's not all like whipped up in a single batch. They're actually tank mixing it or mixing it online and putting it in cans. Whereas like these hard, hard kombuchas and hard lemonades and all that kind of stuff um, are, as you as you explained, basically they're making a neutral grain spirit from a high fermenting, high attenuating yeast and back blending it with sugar and flavorings, natural flavorings, quote unquote. It's it's candy. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. It's it's candy. I I think I'm finally feeling your outrage at seltzers from this because I'm I'm looking at this this beer in front of me, which was was crafted with with science and art and <laughs> there is there's chemistry behind it and and we're talking about boiled candy <laughs> boiled candy 
Well, it makes it makes me sad. I, I think there are probably some brewers out there that would disagree with you that it isn't just that simple. However, I would say those brewers that want to be that vocal about it are are being extra pompous because it is pretty simple. Um, now, I'm not saying it's easy to make something that tastes good. Sure. But it certainly isn't. It doesn't require the same level of craft that beer brewing does. That's for sure. Now you you don't know it, but you you have led me perfectly into the next point of this article when you say it takes work to taste first to taste good. Mm-hmm. So they were talking about Cape May Brewing for a bit, which is down at the at the southern tip of New Jersey. Oh yes, I've I've actually been there a couple of times. Mm-hmm. But back when they were tiny and no one knew who they were, uh, I had spent a couple of family vacations down there, and we'd pop in. Uh, they've since grown by leaps and bounds. So they have done some seasonal stuff they did a hard lemonade and they did a hard tea in collaboration with wawa now do you know wawa yeah okay so Wawa's like a for those who don't know because it's, it's regional Wawa's like a 7-eleven or a cumberland farms or i don't know what they are out by you it's a you know it's a stop and grab you know a, a hot pretzel and a coke and um some tylenol yeah, kind it's a, a place. We call them, we have a, a brand around here called Quick Trip. Mm-hmm. And it's a Wisconsin regional, yeah, what do you call them? Convenience store, gas Convenience station store. thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the article was talking about the, the work Cape May Brew was doing and that the hard lemonade and the Wawa hard tea, they made a hard tea with them, was, was you know, so there were lines going into Wawa for the hard tea. Hmm. Not just for the Bavarian cream donuts, actually for the hard <laughs> tea. Uh, so Wawa actually came to them, and this is the part that that when you said it, they've got to work on on flavor and all that. Um, so they had to they did about ten iterations till they got the tea flavor right. Mm-hmm. And these are sentences I love to read. They had to run the flavor profile past the food technologist from Wawa. Wawa has a food technologist. Oh yeah, hey, the our our quick trip. Is the largest bakery in Wisconsin. Is that where Joe gets the pies? Gas station pie is a thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that is where Joe gets the pies. Yeah, Joe gets the pies for a quick trip. Yeah, yeah. That's where I, I go. Just, that's I, where I go every Friday for fried, fried chicken Friday. It's the best damn fried chicken around at the gas station. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing. <laughs> what I was going to say was that I think you brought me there for coffee once. Um, yes. Yeah. But the food, I just, I don't know. The concept of a food technologist at the convenience store just boggles my mind. Mm. Well, you how, are easily boggled. So I am easily boggled. But how, how do you explain that to your grandparents? What are you, what are you doing for a living again? I'm the, I'm the food technologist at the gas station. Grammy. I'm the food technologist, Grammy. It made me chuckle. But uh, it, it is interesting that they're deviating from beer into these areas. Well, and, and what you read over and over again is it's similar to the N.A. thing where people who are coming in maybe don't want a beer. Right. But, st- but they still want some alcohol. Yeah. And we usually see, like, in our convenience stores, there's, a you know, your standard bush light and whatnot. But the American Light Lagers, but then you've got the whole section of, yeah, Mike's Hard Lemonade and all the stuff that back in the 80s used to be coolers. Well, and Mike's has been around for a while. I mean, used to, I mean, Zima was probably the first real 
that and wine coolers to some degree were when we were young were the things going into that area. Mm-hmm. So there's one other great story here, but I and I'm not exactly understanding it, so I want to run this by you too. Again, it's a it's a brewing chemistry thing. Okay. So the, uh, Broadleaf Brewery and Spirits is in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So not well, just if you cross the lake, it's not too far yep. from you, I guess. <laughs> uh, they had a huge contract with the Detroit Target Tigers. It was going to like put them on the map oh, yeah. to provide to provide beer to their stadium. Mm-hmm. When do you think that was? Just before COVID hit. Just before COVID hit, yes. So they ended up sitting on, and I quote, a ridiculous amount of kegged beer. Mm. So what they did was they distilled it using another company, Long Road Distillers, mm-hmm. to about 80 to 95 ABV. And they're calling it a spirit derived from grain and hops. Yep. So the vintage did that as well here in, in Madison. They took a bunch of their woodshed woodshed IPA and distilled it into basically a whiskey and then they aged it. How does that, how does you never seen that? I've never seen that. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, the, as you would expect, <clears throat> well, so like when, when you make whiskey, whiskey or any other hard alcohol, you got to start off with an alcohol and that alcohol comes from fermentation. So they're all making some sort of mash and fermenting it to get the alcohol and then they're just distilling off the alcohol and leaving the water and the other stuff behind. So as you could imagine, you take a bunch of beer, let's say it's a, well, it's a modern beer. It's probably seven and a half percent, eight percent anyway. <laughs> and so you're going to take all that liquid and you're going to concentrate it down to whatever, you know, percentage alcohol you're going to get 60, 70% maybe. And so you're going to lose a, a bunch of liquid, and a bunch of non-volatile stuff. So what's going to come over? Is it going to actually taste like beer? No, it's not going to taste like beer. It's going to taste like no. mostly like burning. And uh, hmm. is it going to taste like hops? No. no. Because the the boiling point of a lot of those compounds is a lot higher than alcohol is, and that's going to be lost during the process. So not likely to to see anything that even resembles the base beer. Hmm. It's just like hooch at that point. You're just using it for the alcohol. Yeah. Huh. Just hooch. Using it for the alcohol was my fraternity name, by the uh, way. <laughs> yeah, that didn't surprise me, actually. Mm-hmm. Okay. I thought that was a, you know, you hear some of these odd COVID stories, and I thought that was an interesting thing to do with, uh, uh, again, ridiculous amount of kegged beer. Yeah, well, and, I mean... Uh, it's going to reduce your volume quite a bit. That's for sure. True. But it's, it's that or pour it out. So uh, they they did fairly well with that. And that's become a huge thing for uh, for this particular company, for Broad, Broadleaf. Yeah. So th- that's the that Beyond Beer thing. Again, they, they touched. There were a lot of other stories in there. But they, those were the ones that I found most interesting. Just yeah. kind of touching on these, these other areas. And... You know, from from just a pure marketing and and corporate operations perspective, you get into that whole what is at what point do you become a jack of all trades and master of none if you're trying to do everything? Mm-hmm. And and you know, you you see that sometimes when 
and we've seen it with seltzer and we've seen it with these beer companies that try to expand out to do lots of different things so some of some of some of them is working well and i think that you know it's a also a, like with that last example where they had a covet issue they had a thing going where it was going to be beer but oops mm-hmm. uh yeah, they- pandemic and so now what are you going to do with it you've got all this money invested in this liquid are you just going to leave it go no you're going to try and recoup it somehow so I think it makes right. perfect sense. In this case, it did. Yeah. When, when do you pivot? Yep. And I don't know that they'd be like, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make beer. We're going to spend all this time and resources making beer. And then we're going to distill out all the things that make it beer. <laughs> and we're going to end up yeah. with this other thing. So, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Oh, I'm sure that as they've expanded this and, and continued with it, the the beer part of it has become a much different recipe. Oh yeah, yep. Make sugar water distill yeah. into neutral grain spirit, and then you know you kind of get what you get. Candy booze. Mm-hmm. <sighs> All right. Topic number two. Number two. So I took a picture of the the first page of this and put it on the Discord while I was reading it earlier, because I knew that the people who knew me would find it amusing. (laughs) And there was a whole article on pumpkin beer. Pumpkin beer, yeah. Pumpkin beer. Your fave, your second favorite behind uh, toasted coconut cheesecake tart. Right, that's your favorite style, isn't it? That that is my favorite style. Yeah, that's what I thought. The The only, the best thing ever would be a pumpkin coconut milk stout mm. yeah you bet that would be if if anyone out there wants to do something special for me you will homebrew a a pumpkin coconut milk stout why is send that to why me. is that not a thing i don't know it probably is someone has to have done that it's it, it sounds actually like not the worst idea <laughs> for for anyone other than me that is <laughs> oh that's gonna be the bumper right there <laughs> sounds like actually not the worst idea the, the second worst idea, but not the worst idea. <laughs> yeah. So what? So, what did... A whole article of pumpkin beer. It was it. It dove a lot into the history mm-hmm. of pumpkin. What I thought was very funny, and of course, I'm reading this and I'm being snarky in my own head back to the author because that's right. Um, he he led with why do pumpkin beers kind of linger in the market well after Halloween, unlike um, you know, Marzins, Oktoberfests, Christmas beers, mm-hmm. fruit beers, they kind of come and go, but Marzin, but pumpkin beers linger. And my immediate thought is, because people aren't buying them because they suck. Right. <laughs> They're being when you, overproduction? Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when, when you see them on the shelf in March, it's not because they're continuing to make them. That's <laughs> left over from July. Oh. <laughs> uh. So and that was how he started the article. I'm just like, oh my god, that was not the right question. So I also thought, this is beautiful. I have to get my composure so I can actually read this without laughing. Pumpkin. <laughs> do you know the the origin of the word pumpkin? Uh what? Now tell me. It is from the French pompion, which also means corpulent oaf. Ah. Is that why you like pumpkin beers so much? It, it might be. Ah, it might be. I, okay. I, Corpulent Oaf was my other fraternity. All right. Yep. yep. So, yeah. 
So, and then he starts quoting from a book, and I kid you not, a uh, I'm sure a wonderful um, scientist named Cindy Ott wrote this book. It is called Pumpkin, The Curious History of an American Icon. Ah. So if you really want to learn more about Pumpkin, I won't. Or, or you want to throw pumpkin facts at me just to make me upset, that's the book to go to. As James stealthily hides his book from Cindy Ott. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fairly certain she had a follow-up about the fig that was very. Uh, it was uh, it was a yeah. page turner. I mean, you couldn't mm-hmm. you couldn't put it down. But what? Oh it, so what? I, I you're, you're so what? What's the deal? I mean, why why does this beer have such staying power? It, it's it, he couldn't answer that question. <laughs> I, th- I think I've answered the question quite frankly that he didn't, which is that it's just still there. Is it? Is this supposed? It's like a. Uh, a, a hazing ritual for the intern where you have to write an article on pumpkin beer out of season? It, it, it might have been. It might, or maybe this was an article that they lost that was supposed to come out back in November. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. It was like the kid yeah. took, it, took it back to college with him on his laptop. Oops, I <laughs> forgot. Like, oh, we didn't publish the pumpkin beer article. So the first, <laughs> the first pumpkin ale recipe was published in 1771 by the American Philosophical Society. Do you, do you know of that society? I'm part of it, yes. <laughs> founded, founded by Benjamin Franklin. Of course. <laughs> uh, so that was a pumpkin ale recipe. But the whole pumpkin spice ridiculousness was the first, I guess, recorded version of that that I think Cindy must have found was in 1985. Yeah. Yep. It was uh, Buffalo Bill's brew house in Hayward, California that first threw all the ingredients in. And who was summarily executed? <laughs> Should have been, or he's or he bought an island, right, you know, from right. from selling the the pumpkin spice concept out there. Mm-hmm. So, and as we know, allspice, ginger, nutmeg, cinnamon, cloves, cardamom, orange, orange peel, vanilla, right. you know, all it's that called, fun stuff. It should be called pumpkin pie beer, not pumpkin it, beer. It, it should be. Mm-hmm. They they ta- they talked a they grazed over the fact that. Yeah, for the most part, canned pureed pumpkin is what people use. But they did talk a few times. They they mentioned Papazian and and that you know roasting sugar pumpkins is is the right way to do this, mm-hmm. which we've talked about many times. There is a pumpkin beer festival in Seattle every year. It's 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 going on eighteen years now. Great. I think you and I need to go there just so I can. I don't know get into a fight i don't know i, I have know i have two <laughs> problems with that one okay. pumpkin beer festival two seattle i knew seattle was going to be part of your problem uh, there. Uh. yeah and, and of course they end the article very tongue-in-cheek talking about i guess there was a survey last year or, or, or something around things that shouldn't be pumpkin Beer didn't end up in that in that list, but things like there there was pumpkin spice spam that came out last year. Oh yeah, 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 I saw that an advertisement mm-hmm. for that. Yeah, and of course Cheerios does it, and uh, you know Starbucks, of course. You all know how I feel about pumpkin beer, and 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 just how when it, if it's done correctly, it can be wonderful, but it's not ever, ever, <laughs> ever. Well, like all good things, it takes skill and time and resources and those are things in short supply in the brewing industry today uh, i would like to bring cindy onto this podcast at some point mm. 
and we can do we can do an extra we can do a two parter for a full ninety minutes about the curious history of pumpkin. Go for it. I'm down for that. Okay, I'm gonna reach out to her. You do I that. Am. I I think we need more pumpkin. <laughs> You heard it here, folks. Mm-hmm. Greg needs more pumpkin. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it when I turned the page and there was the pumpkin beer article. Just couldn't believe it. I'm with you. I think they screwed up and they forgot to publish it back in October. <laughs> yes, that's all. That's the only thing I can think of. Why else would you do a pumpkin beer article in in February? Oh, <laughs> uh, that's totally what happened. Oh. Not not fair, not fair. So the next article was on cold IPAs. And <laughs> I took two notes on it and then I typed, I'm falling asleep. <laughs> two notes. Yeah. It was, it was uh, I have to be honest, I have zero interest in in cold IPA as style. I, it's like brute IPAs. I'm like, what? Why? What? That's just another thing, I think, but... Yeah. Well, the person writing the article actually said it very well at the beginning. It was interesting. He said, when I heard first heard of a cold IPA, I thought, well, duh, you wouldn't want an IPA that's not cold. Exactly. And he said, I, he said, you know, and you and I have talked about this, that usually all the taps are refrigerated in the same place. So everything's right. at the same temperature. Yeah. And that default temperature is usually cold. <laughs> Right. Uh, and he was saying in this article that you, what he would typically do, and I think this is brilliant, is he orders something like an IPA mm-hmm. and something he, lo- you know, a, a porter or a stout or something else at the same time, drinks the IPA when it's cold, lets the other one warm up a bit, and he says he treats it as his, um, as his appetizer and his main course. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Which I think is actually brilliant to yeah. let that warm up a bit. Yeah, but but he the the phrase he used, and it wasn't it wasn't his. It was whoever he was interviewing about cold IPAs said that the intent was to create a dry beer mm-hmm. that would combine the drinkability of a pilsner with the hoppy exuberance of a West Coast IPA. And that's like what a brute IPA was supposed to be like back six years or seven years ago. I don't get it, and the and the article was fundamentally about the brewing process behind it, and yeah. I, 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 in all candor, uh, I yeah. gave up. Yeah, I quit. <laughs> yep, yep. I was, I decided I was not interested. Wow, losing interest. Yeah. Now the next article was very interesting, and you're going to like this one. Oh. This was all about gluten free brewing. Oh, I'm I'm in. Yep, and and you know we we've talked about about gluten free. Mm-hmm. He, what was really nicely done about this article was that uh, after a bit of an introduction about gluten-free, he went into all of the kind of the typical ingredients that are used in gluten-free and talked about the pros and the cons and how you use them, which uh, especially if you're a home brewer and are just kind of curious about this, it was a re- – I grabbed some points from it that I'll go through, but I thought it was it was a really – if if – Whereas we say, we read it so you don't have to. If you're really interested in this, it's worth reading this article. Cool. He, one thing that he pointed out at the very beginning that I thought was fascinating was that with all the different things that are used on the gluten-free side, and he, you know, sorghum and millet and quinoa, um, 
it's hard to discern what is and isn't in a you know in quote unquote an off flavor. Right. Correct. And that's part of what's so complicated about gluten free, um, and the fact that sorghum was was predominantly used when the first handful of gluten free beers came out. So that sorghum aftertaste, that twang, he called it, has become synonymous with gluten free, you know, flavor. It's almost like a house style flavor right. that you get from it, a, right. a, an infection. <laughs> well, it's and it's from the sorghum. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of sulfur in sorghum, and so you end up with these dimethyl and trimethyl sulfides that end up tasting like burnt tires. And yeah, it's not good. Yeah, and and, and well, you in particular are so sensitive to the sulfur mm-hmm. flavor. I mean, we all we all know that because you you go on a diet. I just I just for, whine about it constantly. You do. You do. Can we talk about pumpkin beer again? Oh, <laughs> um, he did make the point, though, that with sorghum, you know, with sorghum, for a while there, you could really only find it as a syrup, but malt houses are starting to carry it because it's becoming more and more a thing that people are looking for in their brewing, which is is good. Is good, you know, just like with NA brewing um, and beer growing, it's great that the availability for these things has increased. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, well, I could go into as to why sorghum was a syrup, but I think it's it's good that they're starting to carry sorghum as a as a grain to to use for brewing now, but it's going to require a whole new set of skills. Sure, and a, a lot of this, as I go through some of these ingredients, a lot of them have to do with having the right enzymes, having the right levels of protein, th- things that that mess with your brewing process. Right, as 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 you well know. Um, he 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 talked about sorghum, talked about rice, and said rice is great because it's very neutral in terms of those flavors, but the lack of protein does limit your fermentation, and yep. it can if you don't use it just right, you get a celery or a wintergreen flavor to it. Correct. And that and that's I mean, that celery flavor just just makes me cringe. <laughs> that's just nasty. <laughs> well, it is certainly a very distinct flavor. Mm-hmm. Selling. Yeah. I mean, if you use it correctly, fr- from what he was describing, you can, it can be a very good neutral base, but yes. it can fall into these, into these bad areas. Well, and mm-hmm. it depends on the kind of rice you're using too. This is not rice isn't rice isn't rice. So it's a bunch of different varieties and yeah. So I, I buy that and wild rice, which really isn't rice, uh, makes an absolutely incredible beer, but it's, huh takes a, a mortgage to make it so because it's so expensive but what else what else, so besides rice and and they talk about millet and talk about uh yep uh buckwheat yep yep talk about both of those um uh, before i go to those i want to jump to corn real quick because something you just said about rice which is that you know everyone thinks of corn you think yellow corn but he did briefly mention that if you use red corn or blue corn you can get some very different things going on mm-hmm. in kind of a fun way yeah um and really mess with that it, it, it of course has a color impact which is a little weird <laughs> but uh, i thought that was super interesting but yes he he got into quinoa next and it's so interesting because he got really into a lot of the flavor aspects of these and the good and the bad and the fact that quinoa has a peppery overtone to it um but if you're not careful you can get that vegetal flavor yeah, and it's, um, but he, mm-hmm. it's got a, it's got a, depending on the, where you get your quinoa, what, how it's been handled. I mean, you can, if it hasn't been properly 
or thoroughly rinsed enough, you'll get this soapy kind of bitterness from the outside of it. Because things called saponins that are no good. They also lead to excess foaming. Uh, well, you know, it's funny you say that. He 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 actually was get, making that a, a pro and saying that for body and head retention. And he he was talking about the high protein being the reason for that. That, that is that. That's where the retention comes from, yes. But the, mm-hmm. I guess maybe I misspoke. It's the the saponins are what kill head because it acts like a soap and just doesn't. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's not a good thing. Gotcha. Yeah. Um. He also talked about it being expensive. <laughs> yep, it can be. So that it's uh his at least observation was that usually it's a it's there in a supporting role for mm-hmm. body and head retention, but you're not using that as your primary because of the, the cost. Yeah, it's very expensive. Necessarily. Yep. Um, buckwheat, he also mentioned head retention and lacing in particular, that it just it is very good for those properties, mm-hmm. but he didn't get too deep into buckwheat, but it sounded like you had an opinion on that. Uh, I love buckwheat, and a lot of what people don't like about buckwheat is that, because it, it, it malts really well, but it's got a really tough outer husk on it, and some people just will take that and say, hey, yeah, I've, I've got this dark roasted buckwheat. I'm like, oh, God. Because they take, when you when you roast that whole kernel, you end up roasting the outer shell, and it really doesn't have any flavor. It just kind of turns ashy, right? And so it's hmm. the flavor is not really all that great. But if one could go through and hull the buckwheat before they roast it, now you've got something really interesting. But, like, nobody does that. That sounds like a lot of work. It is a lot of work. And you have uh, you have issues when you're hauling the grain that you could break it. And if you break the grain open and expose the germ, you have, you know, fats and all kinds of other stuff going on. But blah, blah, blah. Shut up, James. Uh, buckwheat is very good uh, for, for brewing with. But if you're going to use it, use it as a base and don't try and, like, get it roasted or anything like that. And then, and then millet he mentioned as well. Um, but he also said... It- it will not completely ferment all your sugars and you've got to add additional enzymes to make that work. Yep. That's absolutely true. And it's probably one of the most cost effective gluten-free or non-gluten ferment, uh, fermentable bases is from millet. We did a ton of, you know, gluten-free stuff with Trevor and playing around with different, you know, we grew some buckwheat, we grew some teff. Teff was really interesting to play with, grew really well, malted really well. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of opportunity out there for gluten-free. Just drop, yeah. drop the sorghum for the love of God. <laughs> yeah. And he was basically saying that too, that sorghum was a great start. Let's yeah. move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but really uh, of, of all the articles that I read in here, um, uh, and I don't, and I don't need do gluten-free. I don't need to do gluten-free. I eat lots of, lots of bread and cookies and mm-hmm. old cakes and all those wonderful things. Uh, but this was a really well done article. Um, really enjoyed that one. So then I was just kind of leafing through the the brewery news in general, and I came across something about our buddy Dan Carey. Ah, oh, Dan. So I, I maybe you're not aware of this. You probably are that they just opened a CO2 reclamation plant. Yep. Big. That is blue. fascinating. Yep. Yeah. Took them five years to to get that going. Yep. And uh, what what a fascinating story there. And um, and what they're doing, it's they never cease to amaze me. The yep. thing that that they do, they've got a really interesting facility there. They've got that down there. They've got the their um, wastewater treatment facility, a biological wastewater treatment facility, so they can discharge to the surface all their wastewater um, using 
biological means to clean it up. Um, really, really quite interesting. And it, it said in this article they were using the the heat from cooling the CO2 to reduce the electricity needs of the refrigeration plant over there. Yeah, I like that. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, just, just so, so smart, so smart, how oh. they're creating their own ecosystem out of all this well, stuff. Well, you take your wastes and turn them into value add. And then in the process, you, it's just, it's tightening up your system and making it more efficient. And if it's good for the environment at the same time, well done. My doctors mentioned I need to be tightening up my system. Yeah, well... No, I'm not touching that. <laughs> they also mentioned a a road slush stout. Oh yes, that um, yep, that's need, usually a February thing. Okay, need you to need you to procure some of that. Yeah, please. they haven't made that in quite a while. They're they're about to make it again. Yeah, that's 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 pretty good. I like that one. Yeah, that's there's a there's a whole section in the back of here that I know I normally just breeze through, and on occasion I see a brewery that I know of, but it was a. Uh, Right before the openings and closings section. But yeah, it's a hearty dark oatmeal stout brewed in the traditional way. Well, because the traditional way is Dan Carey's fraternity name. It's the way to um, do it. <laughs> yep. Oh, and they also mentioned Cabin Fever. Yep. Oh, that oh, I've had that one before. That's a Honeybach. The Honeybach, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yes, some nice stuff there. The... Um, the other thing in the list of new releases that I saw here, and I did a double take because I was like, wait a minute, I know that name. Remember Bauhaus? Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were, they're doing some weird THC, CBD, sparkling water yeah. thing. Mm -hmm. But um, I just remember them from one of our first discussions about NA. They, they still to this day have the best name of a non-alcoholic beer I've ever seen. And it was Nah. Oh, right. The non-alcoholic <laughs> yep. Hellas. N-A-H. Yep. Nah. Nah. I saw the name and I said, wait a minute. Was that them? And, and I had to go look yep. it up. But yeah, that uh, I, I still think they are the, the hands-down champion of naming a non-alcoholic beer. That's when we were way that, back in exploring non-alcoholic back during, during COVID. Remember COVID? Remember that time? I do remember that, that time. Yeah. Way back when. I do. Yeah. Way back when. Now we're out just touching each other and hugging I know, again. Coughing and... all over everybody. Oh, boy. Oh, I missed it. I missed coughing all over people. Yeah. I don't even go to jail for it. It sounds actually like not the worst idea. Yeah.